Uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 16. Hear the word of God. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And it comes back to you, I'll read the part from chapter 3. It comes back and says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I pray that it would among us. Uh, true confessions from a campus minister. Uh, I, was a, I was a bedwetter for far too many years uh, of my life. Things that I never thought I would admit to a room full of people. Uh, but here I am well into elementary school. I'm still, uh, still waking up to uh, puddles that didn't feel very nice. It's true. Um, I, have, I have distinct memories of, uh, of dreams where I, where, I, where I was dreaming that I was standing up in, you know, in the proper place at the bathroom, uh, and I would wake up in the prone position, and uh, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't very good. And if, you're, if, if you remember any memories of bedwetting, you don't have to you know, recognize this, but you know what you do when that happens. You wake up and you realize, oh, what's going on? You just kind of scoot over a little bit, and you go back to sleep. Uh, some of you remember, I know in this room there's got to be someone. We just flip over, you know, so you don't have to feel it uh, as much there. Um, and I said that at one point, I, I'm pretty sure this was uh, either between first and second grade or into second grade. Uh, there was so bad that my parents actually had a consultant uh, come to talk through other methods and strategies that might help with this uh, bedwetting problem. Don't have the problem anymore. Soon after that, uh, you know, we. Uh, uh, but, but I had thought for years that it was actually something about that consultant that, that helped things uh, go better. And more recently, I, uh, when I talked to my parents, I found out that the consultant had actually suggested uh, electroshock therapy type thing, <laughs> where you up the bed and then um, don't do that again. Uh, thankfully, my parents did not consider it that dire, and we we worked our way uh, through it. Um, it's a embarrassing story that I never thought I would tell all of you, but, but I do that because uh, as we look at this passage, uh, I want to talk about shame. Uh, I'll bring it out for you some of my uh, shame of my past, but hopefully you can see a little bit of humor uh, there. But I want us to talk about shame as we, as we look at this uh, passage. Maybe, maybe you're not a bedwetter, but, but all of us are far more familiar with feelings of shame uh, than we wish that we were. Um, I've read a few uh, articles or seen some uh, videos by uh, Brene Brown, so you might have seen her TED Talks or things. Uh, she's a researcher into particularly uh, psychology and shame and vulnerability and has some fascinating things to talk about. But she talks about it particularly shame as just this, as a sense of unworthiness. We go, what do, we, do we kind of expect that we deserve to be rejected? Expect that maybe people don't really want us or value us? Is it more than just kind of a wrong action? We feel like we can get straightened out. Uh, there's those moments when we feel like there's, there's some pollution in us. It makes not just our actions bad, but that somehow we're, we're bad. It's that question, what's wrong with me? 
or, or why am I uh, so messed up? Maybe that just comes out in light things like uh, trivial things like missing the catch or dropping the ball. Um, maybe it comes from uh, going through a breakup or, uh, or eating what you decided was too much and then going past those limits or whatever. And we start to feel this sense of, of shame. And this passage addresses uh, our, our shame. It addresses how God comes to us in our shame still with his love, uh, with hope, with power to actually rescue us to give us a place of security and belonging uh, in him and with him and through his love. And I want to be clear as I go through this, because I want you all to be attuned as you listen to people talking about the Bible. This, this passage goes into speaking much more broadly than just about shame. Um, it, it's speaking of, of guilt and forgiveness and hope and, and life and, and relationship with God and restoration and, and on and on and all these things wrapped up under, under God's righteousness. Uh, but I'm trying to particularly... Focus as we talk about it on shame. Because the passage mentions shame, applies to shame, and I think we don't talk about it uh, often enough. And hopefully that will be helpful to you as you see it. But, but like I said, as we look at this passage, this is really getting to some of the theme of, of Romans as he's bringing out what the gospel is about. Uh, so we're going to look at three things from the three uh, verses there, these kind of parallel phrases. Uh, the power of God, the righteousness of God, and the, the wrath of God. That's the context that the others uh, sit in, and he goes on to talk about. And interestingly, with, with shame, sometimes we tend to get things flipped around. Sometimes we tend to uh, reverse or switch um, uh, what, we're, what we're ashamed of, that we sometimes, oddly, boast about things that maybe ought to be embarrassing, or we hide things that are actually good or worthy. It's odd, maybe you wouldn't expect that we would uh, do that, but I think this passage tries to bring that out for us. Uh, so, I, mean, I think it's really odd to us to think about. I mean, if, if someone's like you know, introducing yourself and you're getting to know them and they're like, what are, they, you know, what, are, what are some of your favorite things about yourself? And someone's like, one of my favorite things about myself is I have absolutely no friends. Like, no one talks to me. It's great. I walk, I, walk, I walk through and people just like ignore me. I post stuff on Facebook and I don't get a single like or a single positive comment. Uh, and they're boasting this. Or, or listen, like I'm, I'm you know, weak, I have no coordination. Uh, when I walk to class, I can stumble and trip probably five times. I've got scars on my face from just how lack of coordination I have, right? Um, or I have horrible, horrible body odor. If you go up to my floor in my dorm room, right, before you get off the elevator, as you're coming up the stairs or whatever, you're getting to that floor, you already are smelling it. People leave me entirely when it's great, right? We'd be like, okay, maybe if you tried a little deodorant, you would have more friends. Like, we want something to be different there, right? Um, or on the other hand, if you talk to someone who is uh, who's saying, sometimes, like, I just I don't like myself. I don't want to be around other people. I don't want them to know me. I wish that there was just some uh, dark corner that I could hide in uh, to make it go away, or at least the, the knowledge of other people about me go away. Because I'm ashamed of of myself, because I'm so different, uh, because I'm so much more incredibly attractive than any, everyone else, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, I'm incredibly funny and the most athletic person, and I'm just ashamed of myself. Right? And you're like, what? We're trying to be you. I don't understand. Um, but I think part of what we see in this passage, and it's more in the whole context uh, to the end of Romans 1, is that we actually do that sometimes. 
But there's things that maybe we ought to be ashamed about that we, that we boast in. And there's things that we, um, <coughs> that we uh, boast in that we... Um, what are the other side of what I just said was? Um, we, we flip it around. Um, by the end of, end of Romans 1, he gets to a list of just all kind of bad things that were going on in the culture. This is uh, uh, you know, first century Roman Empire. Uh, so you can read the list. If you know a little bit of history, you could fill that out in tons of different ways. Um, and he says, here's this list of, uh, a list of things. Um, and uh, not only do they do them, uh, but they give approval to whoever does them. But here's these things that ought to be shameful, like maliciousness, uh, lies, uh, all, all kinds of things that he goes into. So we ought to be ashamed of those. But instead, even though they know that God is against it, they do it anyway, and they say, whoever does these things, that's great. We, we approve of it. Um, to the point where we kind of, where we know no shame. Uh, where we don't know maybe that we should be ashamed. I think we can at least say that all of us have a longing uh, to be unashamed to have no reason uh, to want to hide, to want to cover up, or to, or to draw back from people. Uh, to be unashamed uh, because we're loved and approved. Listen, the gospel brings uh, a much deeper and more beautiful solution to the, the human uh, dilemma and trouble of what do we do with our, with our guilt, with our shame. Uh, it doesn't just say, hey, let's, let's hide it and just not tell anyone. People ask about that, just, you know, like, no reaction on the face. Bedwetting, never heard of that. Um, but people get, just, just ignore it or move away from people that start crying too much. And instead of doing that or instead of just saying, hey, let's, let's get everyone else to think that these things are okay too until we don't have to feel bad because everyone else is there or at least we're not as bad as some of the other people uh, around us. Instead, the gospel brings a deeper, more beautiful uh, solution where God himself enters in to the broken world, takes on the mess and shame in order to love us, reach us, or rescue us, and draw us into his love and affection as he makes things right. So as you go through the passages, first I want you to see uh, the power of God. Right, the power of God uh, that rescues us uh, from shame. Uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To you first, and also uh, to the Greek. Um, maybe I can put this in, in context, at least for some of you. Uh, at least for some of you uh, Noel fans, football fans anyway, I think you can relate to what Paul is saying. Because I can tell you who we're not ashamed of right now. Jameis Winston. The boy is incredible. All right, first couple drives against Pitt, you're going like, this does not look so good. Uh, and then he starts hitting throws and hitting throws and scoring touchdowns, and we're like, this is good. Before the first half is over, we got something we want to talk about. We are not ashamed of Jameis uh, Winston, right? You can, you can just throw out the numbers, and people know what you're talking about, 20, 25, 27, 356, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that, that's just, no, that, this is the guy, right? Uh, he's going to – we've got this guy potentially for like three or four more years, I'm getting excited about it. I'm seeing heyday, FSU football, glory days coming back. I'm hopeful. Uh, we're not ashamed uh, to make the connection with the passage. Uh, we're not ashamed of Jameis Winston because uh, to us, he's seen uh, the power of victory uh, for the Seminoles. Yes, he's part of a whole team. We love a whole team. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but when we look at him, we say, here's the power of victory for the Seminoles. All right, that's the way that Paul feels about something far, far grander. 
Uh, that's the way Paul uh, feels about the gospel because it's not just victory for us, not just victory for our team or for this season, but it's something that applies to all of humanity throughout all of time and in all cultures that the gospel is the power to rescue and deliver and bring hope even in those dark places where we want to hide in our shame. That God's power, God who spoke the word, uh, the world into existence uh, with his powerful word, uses his power to rescue us, uh, to deliver us, uh, even to rescue us from our shame. And so I, I think bringing that out, maybe you can see how easily sometimes we get things flipped or how we reverse our shame. Uh, for, for those of you coming from, from Christianity, I think... A lot of times Christians are more ashamed uh, talking about God uh, than we are talking about ourselves. Or we're talking about FSU football or talking about just other things that are going on. We're, we're more ashamed to actually bring up conversation, God, what I, what I believe about God, what you might believe about God. It feels really awkward. It does. It just does. I'm not saying pretend that it doesn't just go on talking that way. It does. We, we feel awkward about it. And sometimes there's shame in there uh, with us. I mean, how readily do you speak to, to Jesus just in normal conversation? Or maybe even want people to know that you're a Christian if you are. Um, I remember in college uh, uh, going to a campus ministry, walking across uh, campus, and, you know, I would bring my Bible. I didn't have smartphones then or tablets to just disguise it. I had to bring my Bible. So I'm sitting there, like, walking across campus going, yeah, I'm okay with this. I'm fine with this. I think this is great. I love the Bible. But everyone knows that I'm, or like some people at least, are going to look, that's a really odd big book. Why is it in this cover thing? Oh, because it's a Bible, right? Um, and, and just feel the, feel the awkwardness of that. Um, and and I, I understand, okay, let me say, I understand that there's reasons for that. Um, there, there's good reasons for that. There's just reasons that the way that things are. Um, to, to say that there's much that's going on in the name of Christianity um, that, it, that is shameful. And it has nothing to do with the gospel and nothing to do with Jesus and what he's about. Uh, but sometimes it's under the name of Christianity is lists of, lists of rules and prohibitions that are regard for, for morality or keeping society the way that we uh, think that it ought to be. Um, and morality is great, but that's not the gospel. And that's not how the Bible talks about uh, Jesus and who he is uh, for us. Uh, sometimes under the guise of the gospel, it's just using uh, social shame tactics uh, to isolate or to ridicule or to mock uh, people that we don't fit in with the with a storm of with the uh, with the uh, norm of what we want, uh, moral norm of what we want uh, society to be like, um, and that's not the gospel. And those are not gospel strategies or gospel uh, tactics, however much. Uh, uh, as Christians, we have, have done that. Uh, even just to say judgmental condescension in the name of religion, uh, in confined to Christianity, uh, which happens all the time, uh, is not the gospel. Uh, and there's enough in our culture uh, reaction against that, uh, that that looks down on and despises that, uh, that I understand that there's reasons for, for shame about some of those things. Because it associates you with that, which... Christ actually is not associated, does not want to be associated uh, with. But, but also, so that we track it all the way out, there's also things that Paul talks about in Corinthians as the, the shame of the cross. Uh, because, right, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about a guy that came at the, you know, in the early uh, first century and 
the Roman Empire, right? And he was uh, the leader for God's people, and he came, and he conquered the Roman Empire, and then he conquered the world by his great strength, right? Um, or, or actually, like, his own people decided that they didn't want him, and they rejected him. So much so that they decided that they didn't want him to exist anymore. They wanted him dead. And so they turned him over to the Roman authorities. And so the person that we talk about as being the center of the gospel, the shame of the cross, is that here, one of the greatest uh, judicial uh, systems in the ancient world, under Roman law, he was condemned. Hung on the cross, executed like a criminal, hanging on Roman's cross until he breathed his last death, shame, cultural shame, Uh, and everyone left him, and his followers at that point uh, left him, (laughs) except that that wasn't the end, except that God uh, raised him to life and declared him, as Romans 1 says in the beginning, declared him the Son of God in power, uh, raised him up to a newness of eternal uh, life seated him on the throne with him. So Jesus, who died and was mocked, is the reigning king of the universe forever. But it all happened through shame and crucifixion. But, but all of this uh, gospel is God using uh, his power, right? not just, not just mean, uh, mean-spirited punishment, God using his power uh, to rescue, uh, sending his son through that to rescue the shame of the cross is because Jesus is a representative for God's people, and so he's taking on their shame. He's taking on our shame. Um, I remember playing through the song that it was uh, new for some of you, uh, but even just the, the worst from Isaiah before that song we read, that stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Here's one that, that you look on and all you see is, is shame, essentially. But he was wounded for our transgression. The chastisement that's on him, the shame that's on him, is because he took, he stood in our place, so that so God the Father actually turns away from his Son, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to speak about rejection? Jesus went through rejection and the shame of it. And he did it because that's what God's people deserve. For, for all of our failures, that's where our shame comes from. But he steps into it and says, turn away from me that I will stand for my people. And that God raises him up no longer to shame, but to glory, uh, so that his people can share with him in that. So that all whoever believes on him gets to share in the glory and approval of the Father's love and affection and never be afraid that God's going to turn his face away from you. Whatever failure, whatever sin, whatever thing's going on, uh, in Christ through the gospel, what's being said here is God's power to rescue means he doesn't turn away anymore. Shames are being uh, dealt with. So listen, I'm thrilled if you want to talk about uh, James Winston. I'd love to talk about James Winston with you. I'm excited for having football. Um, but also, uh, don't be ashamed to ask more questions about Jesus and who he is. And that feels weird. Maybe when everyone assumes that you have all the answers and you're going, I'm still figuring this out. I'm not sure why this matters. I've heard about it for too long. Uh, but, but what's going on here? Maybe when it's the things that you're passionate about, but you feel that you're around enough people that don't have the same sense of that and you go, I, don't, I just don't want to make this weird. 
Um, don't be ashamed to ask more about Jesus, to talk about the gospel, because it's the power of God for the rescue that all of us deeply, deeply need. And it goes to all who believe. Uh, to you first, the Gentile, to say it's come, salvation has come through, uh, through the Jews as God's people, but it, it's, oh, we see the brawlness of it. It applies to all. Uh, power of God, secondly, uh, righteousness of God. Right, in verse 17, we see uh, righteousness of God that even uh, replaces uh, shame. Paul says, in it, in the gospel, what we hear in this message of the gospel is God's power for salvation. In it is the righteousness of God uh, is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, this is from Habakkuk, the just shall live, and the emphasis is here, by faith. Uh, not from what we do, by leaning on what he's done. Uh, the righteousness of God. If there's one phrase that really sums up the theme in Romans, uh, this is that phrase, a righteousness of God. I recognize that's not a common phrase for us. We don't just like talk about uh, the righteousness of things. This class that I'm taking is so righteous. I went to that concert. It was, it was righteous. You know, like, that's not words that we use often. Um, he, he's given this as a, as a broad term. There's various different sides of, to it that he uh, gets to throughout Romans. Uh, I'm, one of, that's one of the things I'm most excited about going through Romans is to be able to uh, tie in these different sides of, of God's righteousness uh, for us in the sense that we call justification, where God uh, takes our guilt, but it's been placed on Christ, and he takes Christ's obedience and places it on us, and because of our relationship to Christ, gets to say to us who are, who are guilty and unjust, to say, you're just, you're righteous. I look upon you with the perfection of my son. Uh, he gets into that side of it. He gets into how that actually, uh, God's righteousness starts to work out in our life by his spirit as we're leaning on him. It's changing us. Uh, uh, various different sides of it. But here's the overall idea, okay? And there's a quote on there. For some of you that may help. For a lot of you it won't. But here's the overall idea. Um, the righteousness of God is just this. God is the one who makes things right again. Things aren't right. God is the one who, who, who restores the way uh, things to be the way that they're supposed to be, who begins that, because, because they're not right now. And what we're shown in the gospel, what's revealed in the gospel, is that, is that it's God who's begun to make things the way that they're supposed to be. And we see that first in Jesus, through shame to glory, and things being right. And then we see it uh, in those who are in him and how it works out from those who are in him, all uh, through faith. Uh, he's bringing it not only back to the goodness of creation, how God made things, uh, but beyond it to the new creation that will be incorruptible and perfect. Just as Jesus raised is now, uh, Scripture, uh, uh, incorruptible and perfect, and so he says those who are in him will be, and actually all of creation will be remade, new, incorruptible, and perfect. Uh, and so this righteousness from God is emphatically in Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ for all. All right, so to put this in the language of shame, again, it applies much broader than just shame, uh, but I'm wanting to focus this there. To put that in the righteousness of God in the language of shame, it answers the question um, that we ask probably far, far too often, what's wrong with me? Is something wrong with me? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with the world? Why, why do things happen this way? I don't, I don't want it to. Or maybe uh, some, in some senses we ask it more, why can't I do anything right? Trying to learn something new, feel like you're 
new place, maybe meeting new people, how's this going to go, not the way you want it. Why, why can't I do anything right? It's not just the action. There's, there's a sense of what we're wanting, what we're longing for is this desire for righteousness. Righteousness in us uh, and righteousness around us. That we would actually be the way that we, the self that we imagine ourselves being would actually be what happens. That would be great, right? Uh, Maybe I just have an inflated self-image of myself, but if I'm, I imagine myself and that could actually happen, I would be much more uh, thrilled with that than actual reality. Um, uh, so, some of you, um, you've experienced this in tons of different ways. Maybe some of you have gone or you will go through uh, just relationship breakups. And one of the nagging questions that just keeps clawing at you, uh, and, and yet oftentimes this is not really the right question to ask, but what claws at you is, What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that that person didn't love me or didn't continue to love me? Or that these series of people left me? Is it, is it something about me? Right? We, feel, we feel that shame. Um, even when it's just someone's treated you really poorly. Okay, I'm not saying it's always uh, on you. Um, maybe it's just rules and standards that you've made for yourself. Uh, goals that you've set, and then you find out that you keep slacking on that, right? At the beginning of the semester, you're like, oh, here's what's going to happen. And the semester, you're like, uh, so next semester, what I'm going to do is, and you start to see that after enough years, and you just get frustrated about it. You're disappointed in yourself. You can't hit those goals, and you're going, why? Why can't I? What, what's wrong here? Um, maybe you've traveled enough to see uh, poverty and injustice and corruption and oppression and... You're saying, why is it that way? Um, and you don't really have to have traveled very far anywhere to have seen that. Um, listen, it's because something is wrong. Something, something's wrong with the way that the world is. Uh, we're not the way that we want to be, and the world's not the way that we long for it to be, the way that we say it, it should uh, be. And, and the, the shame that you feel after the binge of pornography or the shame that you feel after the binge on alcohol or the shame that you feel after the binge on uh, five hours of watching Doctor Who on Netflix or whatever, like the next season is that you got into, whatever your show is, you're like, I just spent all Saturday. I kind of like that, but I don't want anyone to know, right? Um, what that shame is doing is declaring to you that it's not all, everything's not right not the way that we want it to be. We're not the way we want it to be. And the difficulty of shame is this. We don't know how to fix it. Because it's deeper than just some change of behavior. Um, because maybe we've tried that. Still, still not there. Um, so for one example, uh, you've got the old phrase, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And that's been true for thousands of years. That's not the way the world should work. But there's no, there's no quick fix for it. And we can try to hide the ugliness but usually when we try to just cover things up, um, it just makes it a little bit worse. If you're familiar with Genesis 1, it's kind of like fig leaves, which couldn't have been very comfortable clothing. We try to pile things on with it, and it starts to cover things, but it also um, I don't know, causes a rash or something. Um, I don't know, fig leaves, really. Um, we, we can try to pretend it's not, it's not really a problem. Um, these things are, everyone else around me struggles with these same things, and so it's not really, it's not really shameful. We're, we're in the same boat, or, uh, or, or they're kind of worse than I. I can be there with them and help them out and so that made us an okay thing, except it still hurts. Um, and we still feel hopeless sometimes from it. I don't know where to go with it. Um, and our heart is a call out, someone please show me a solution. 
Show me some way I can deal with this. And that's what the gospel does. In the gospel, that's what's revealed, Paul is saying. In it, God's righteousness in Christ is being shown to you and for you as something that even replaces that shame with Christ's own perfection, covering you, covering, him taking that on himself and him covering you with his righteousness and God's approval and love. There's a solution to that. God hasn't just removed himself. He wasn't just repulsed by our moral failure and inability and mistakes and sin. Though he sees the ugliness and the repulsion of it uh, more than we can imagine because he's a holy God. But he didn't just remove himself uh, from it. Uh, he hasn't, God hasn't just left us to kind of wallow in our own misery. And well, they screwed it up. Let's see uh, how much they can fix it. Maybe after a little while, I'll you know, lend him a hand on a few things. God hasn't just kind of uh, removed himself from us, left us to our own mistakes, or to kind of self-medicate to get what relief that, that we can manage for a little while. Um, the gospel reveals a God who is actively and intimately uh, relating to humanity uh, in love and hope. He enters the mess and failure and establishes something new. Establish a new way for things to work. Scripture calls it a new kingdom. Uh, it's a new reign or rule the way Christ establishes uh, things. And it's a righteous kingdom, which means it's a, it's a way where everything goes right. Line up. You're like, okay, but that's not, that's not what I experienced. That's, right? It doesn't mean everything goes uh, uh, you know, singingly and there's no trouble, there's no difficulty in it. Uh, Christ calls his people in him uh, to suffer as he suffered. Uh, but the hope of glory is in him. The hope of glory actually even in uh, suffering. And only the way scripture speaks about it. But God enters into the mess and failure and establishes this righteous uh, kingdom. So where uh, uh, establishes a place where uh, failures and uh, ugly disappointed people get to find approval uh, and love and affection like they never, uh, never were able to believe that they could experience. Uh, because the God who made all and over all says, I know you and I know your shame and I've removed it and my perfection is on you. You are mine, you belong to me and you have my love and I am delighting over you. That's the message of the gospel in Christ. That's the call of the gospel. That's why Paul's not ashamed of it. They're glorious uh, things. All right, a few just broad strokes of the structure of the letter, right? This is ancient Roman community, but uh, of the righteousness that he's getting into. Where it goes from here is he wants us to see that. And so it goes on from chapter 1 and chapter 3, persuading us that none of us have it right. Uh, none of us already have things uh, right on our own, and kind of to encourage us that we should stop pretending. Uh, so if you're tired of pretending and keeping up the uh, moral standards or just showing yourself as a Christian or fitting with whatever community you're around, uh, yes, I'm excited for you to be tired of that. Stop. That's good. Uh, actually ask questions and figure out what the Bible is talking about. We want you to do that. Scripture wants you to do that. Christianity is not supposed to be pretending that we have it right. Uh, please, when you're talking to other people on this campus and people who are not Christians, uh, don't go around this campus uh, pretending that you have it right because you believe in Jesus or, or that uh, you're supposed to get other people to expect that your life is, is going along uh, soaringly when it's not. Uh, what we do is we go along showing that we actually need Jesus and that he's enough for us. 
on. That's, that's where the gospel stands. But Paul persuading us that none of us are right on our own and that we should stop pretending, uh, but that God's actually made a way for us to become right. Uh, and not that then we step up on it ourselves to make ourselves uh, <coughs> Uh, in, this, in, this, in this right way, or just model ourselves after Jesus, and that's what achieves it. Jesus himself is that way. He is that way for us, and so the emphasis often here is on faith, from faith to faith, right? That's why he quotes this passage from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live, how? By being righteous, right? They get life because they were, they were right. They did the right things, and so they earn life. They live by faith. The way that they're righteous, the way that they have life, it's by relying on God, relying on Christ who alone was righteous for us, who knows how to make things right. Uh, that, then, that, that, that way of being right is Jesus, uh, that then God can actually declare and pronounce us to be uh, right or to be just uh, in Christ, that he accepts and approves us. Uh, Romans spent a like, great time in chapters just going into uh, how true this is, but that God also begins to change believers in Christ. Uh, making them more and more like Jesus. Um, making them more and more righteous, but a righteousness that looks like humility and honesty, openness, uh, love. <clears throat> and it goes on to describe aspects of life as a community in Christ, reflecting Jesus' righteousness. Listen, what I want you to hear is this, that there's hope, uh, that there's confidence for those who know shame to actually be unashamed. Not because we're just hiding it, because that shame has actually been dealt with. Because you've been clothed in something beautiful in Christ. God's righteousness loved us in our shame, and that Jesus' righteousness covers our shame and makes us even beautiful to God. The power of God, the righteousness of God, uh, but all that takes place, thirdly, in, we see in verse 18, the wrath of God. Um, uh, the wrath of God that reveals shame or exposes it, right? Verse 18, this starts a section that he goes into this further. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, I know you're like, all these things, and then what? Like, we, ne- we never really want to talk about uh, the, the wrath of God uh, because what we do is we imagine this angry face uh, that's, that's mad at you. Um, but we, we need to. Uh, and, and here's some of the reasons. One is because God is not an apathetic and uncaring God where what happens just doesn't matter to him and he's, and he's fine with it. He's deeply passionate about his creation and especially about humanity. He, he claims a special right over this. says, this is humanity made in my image. And he is deeply passionate about who we are and what we do then because we're, we're in his image. So just like you don't want a, uh, uh, a king or a ruler who just would see rape and murder and deceit and hatred and, and do nothing about it, you're like, ah, yeah, that kind of thing happens. But I'm all right with it. I still like all of you. Um, well, someone's going to deal with it. If God didn't hate evil, then God wouldn't be good. But the God of the Bible is a God who, who deals with it. That's part of what this is, is going on to. That's what you see in the cross with Christ, is that God is actually dealing with it. So that there's a real hope and not a pretended one. Um, but, the, but the wrath of God isn't just describing God as, as mean, um, but as, as a just king. 
a righteous king. And Paul's purpose in describing it, actually, is to help us see our need for God's righteousness that's freely given. Right? He goes into God's wrath not to say, see, you'll never have hope in God. God will never like you and never want you. You should go in that dark place and hide away from Christianity. And anyone who talks about these things, so they're just going to judge you and make you feel horrible about yourself. That's not what he's doing. That's what we do when we hear wrath of God. We go, ah. Um, what God is doing is he's actually, yes, he's exposing our shame. So that we could see that it's there, but that there's real hope. There's something that covers it better than fig leaves. That he's actually willing to deal with it. So we would stop pretending that we can cover it well enough or deny it or call it good. He exposes us for us to see our need of him and that he has done what is right and what we need and call us uh, to Jesus. Um, have you ever been caught doing something uh, uh, really bad, maybe by your parents. Some of you have particular memories of you know, parents walking in or catching you whether it's lying or a teacher just catching you cheating. Um, uh, I've already shared enough embarrassment. I won't go there. Um, you can ask me later. I'll tell you. Uh, um, maybe friends catching you and, and gossiping behind their back. Someone knows you're a good friend and you said things and you didn't realize that it would hurt them and they hurt it and then they come to you. There's just a shame of it, and it's exposed. Um, uh, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, cheating on you, whatever. And before you get caught, you don't really feel so bad about it. You're like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad she's not here. I wouldn't say that about her if she was here, but these are just some things that are... And then it gets back around to her, you're going, ooh. Yeah, I, I, I see that I hurt you. I see what was going on there. Um, it, it exposes it for, for what it is. Um, uh, and you don't want the person to reject you then, but you can kind of see how you deserve it when it's exposed. Um, it can be a, a good thing. What's actually revealed in these verses from, from, uh, from 18, then it goes on uh, from there, part of what's revealed is actually how we've rejected God. How we've rejected God and rejected what's good. And so God's wrath is, is revealed because of our ungodliness and unrighteousness, because of the fact that we've denied God and said we're not really interested in him, uh, particularly this is ancient community, we, we'd rather take some stone or some wood and you know, put it in something and go, hey, piece of stone, will you bless my life and make me good? Um, he says that's what we do because we don't like him. And instead of doing what's right, we take lots of other things and say we think these are the things that are going to make us happy. And in doing that, what we've done is we've rejected him. Um, this ungodliness and unrighteousness, relating to God, relating to everything else. And he points out both of those things in the text as, as shameful. Um, and so the context around this passage exposes the ugliness of it all. And, and I'm talking about us. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to us. Um, and my attitude generally is, uh, and this is shameful, but my attitude generally is, if you reject me, fine. I'm done with you then. Uh, if you don't want to be around me, uh, I've got better things to do and more to worry about, right? Like, uh, that's at least what I'm going to say and, and pretend. Um, but God says... You rejected me, but you need me in your life, and you're my humanity, and you reflect my image, and I am making a way for you to come back to me, even if it means I take all the shame on myself, because I will restore your glory, reflect my image, and restore you to a relationship where you uh, get to enjoy my love. This is how the gospel speaks, how God uh, speaks to us. Um, it says, I see the ugliness and the pain. It, it exposes that to us. It says, come to me. I will love you. I heal you and make you beautiful. Um, we often just don't want to think that we need Jesus. 
Uh, the gospel says we, we have no hope without him. We have full, confident hope in him. And so what it calls us to is faith. And like, just, just believe really well, and then you won't feel shame anymore. No, it means rely on Jesus. Find out what's true about him, and whether God really says that gets to be true about you. Uh, that God loves him, does that really mean that God loves you? And rely on him and what he tells you. Um, trusting God's power, not our own for salvation, God's righteousness in Christ. Uh, so let me just uh, conclude, ask you this question. I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. What are you ashamed of? I know that's a dangerous question, and I do want you to be careful with it um, because you can feed yourself a lot of wrong answers to that too. But, but it's an important question, and I don't want you to just avoid it, which is what we tend to do. What are you ashamed of? What are you ashamed of about yourself? Uh, maybe what are you ashamed of about the gospel, about Christianity, about God? What are the things you shame about that or that you think is fair? What are you ashamed of in your own actions or others that you care about or even just the, the world in general? Um, because we want to be unashamed. Um, and I want you to be able to feel unashamed because you know God's love, affection, approval, and delight in you through Jesus. That's the gospel. Not because you've come to know no shame anymore, and it doesn't matter, but because you've come to rely on Christ's righteousness and to see that it heals and covers all the things that are buried underneath. This is God's righteousness, the power of God for salvation to all who believe.